Chapter 6 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or the Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams, Section 6. In Camp, A Gorilla's Story, The Slaughter of Celestials, The Old Haunt in New Recruits. The King Coyote, uneasy about his acolytes Valenzuela Cardosa and Mountain Jim, and about the results of their doings, directed his steps towards the general rendezvous. On the following day, they encamped on the high edge of a gully, where, after having kindled a rousing fire, they all commenced an onslaught on sardines and crackers, of which handy comestibles the depredator usually had good store. In the middle of the meal, Jack, of the three fingers, directed the attention of his comrades towards a little spark of fire which seemed to be a fixed point in the cup of the ravine. "'Holy Mother!' exclaimed the Mexicans, who and what can that be? It is in all likelihood the campfire of some of the redskins, said Joaquin, letting his eyes listlessly wander towards the indicated site. As you found it out first, Jack, said he with a smile to the man of the mutilated hand, suppose you do us the pleasure of scouting a bit their way and seeing if a little dust or nugget or two is not to be had for the asking. That's me, Cap, replied the other. He jumped up on his feet, and after giving his large mouth a dry wipe with his not overclean jacket sleeve, added, You'll always find this chap ready for that sort of biz. Good, but finished your supper, said the robber chief. Oh no, I'll set sail directly. There's no fear of the sardines growing cold, ha ha. Sticking his revolver and knife into his belt, the speaker walked into the brush with the easy step of a man who would not in the least mind whatever might jump out of the shadows so thick in the underwood. Jack's a brave lad, remarked Felix. He goes into a muss as freely as into a fandango. But he's unluckily an awful lover of bloodshed. Oh, there's worse than he, interrupted Gera. He ain't half what was old Padre Gerada, whom many of us had for chief in Mexico. No, no, certainly not, chorused half a dozen. He was a regular devil, went on Guerra, a downright monster. You remember the way he cleared out the Aparellos, boys? Some did and some did not remember the said clearing out, and those who were on the ignoramus side pressed Guerra to tell the story. So applying to a bottle, first to wash down the dry cracker crumbs, the old Mexican freelance began this story, which is only too true. Well, you must know that an American sailor, long before the war with the confounded heretics of North Americans, cast anchor from cruising in Guaymas. He married a Sonorian girl, and very soon afterwards removed up north near the border up our way. His boys grew up not twenty miles from our house, and we often went hunting together. 
The old chap was a skinny but very tall fellow, all bones and muscles, which had given him his name, for his real one was unpronounceable to us. These Smeets and Bruins and Johannes are dreadful barbarous, say, ain't they, compared to our musical ones? Oh, yes, yes, rose all the voices unanimously. Well, Apareos, as his boys grew up, two, had I ought to have said, as well as a daughter, began to have a reputation for wealth growing up as well. He had huge luck, and he used to work right up to the first heavy fall in the rainy season, and begin again the moment the ground was the least dried. These Americans are shockingly industrious, say, mates all. Oh, there's no name for it, said the bandits, groaning at the dreadful depravity of men who wouldn't be idle. He used to find gold, sometimes silver, choice pieces of fragrant wood that brought thundering prices at the port and was on hitting the animals that had the finest skins. So it went on all well with him. His farm extended, for he bought Ignacio Rosales, Martin Morales, Fabrino Cartejo, out and out, cattle, haciendo, and ground. But the war broke out when those gringos said Texas was theirs and not ours, and did get it, too. Galveston's five times the size it was a few years ago. Just think of the devil's children being so busy. All the hands were lifted in pious horror, and all the voices groaned a deep, Oh, just about this time, went on Guerra, Padre Gerada began to preach, and a lot of us coming together. You, and you, and you, no, eh? Half a dozen nodded. We formed a neat little guerrilla band, and had a lively time scurrying about to pick up such Yankees as were caught in the province, confiscating their goods for the cause. Aparelos had lived among us so long that none of us recollected that he was one of the heretics. While well, one summer's night, oh, how well I remember the scene, the horses round, the Reverend Father tight as a brick, his lieutenant, Fra Cristino, most as far gone, Ramon, Nino Nance, and me playing cards. Lord, I remember going to play a seven of swords to his nine of lozenges. Poor fellow, he was thrown out of one of those big two-story houses in Sansomi Street by a Goliath of a Yankee who caught him in the room of his girl. Girls were scarce in those days, and poor Ramon was stunned and smothered in a mud puddle. Well, he and me were playing as our sentinels brought a young fellow into camp, his hands tied behind him. Here's Mingo Apareos, said our men, caught hanging around camp, coyote fashion. You lie, says he. I was coming to see the Reverend Father. With that, Brother Cristino jumped up and says he, Padre Gerada is in a religious ecstasy. What do you want? Now Domingo was a half-breed who was the castaway from everybody in the village. Heaven knows who his father was. The mother was a poor wretch of a loose Indian Sonorian who took to the woods when he was born. Evil tongues, said Sailor Apareos, had something to do with the parentage. I don't believe it myself, and I won't speak ill of the dead and gone to purgatory. Partly from that, and more because he had taken pity on the boy and housed him, the mongrel was half-cracked anyhow. While we were questioning him, old Gerardo woke up. 
What's the row? A prisoner, answered Cristino. Oh, hang him, but he's got something to tell us. Give him a drink and loosen his tongue. But he's a half-breed son of a heretic, and we don't want to foul our bottles with his satanic lips, said the Fra, who was death on the enemies of the faith. Brother, half hang him, cut him down, and kick him into a thorn bush, and don't keep the mescal all to yourself while you're doing it. But he talks of money, continued Fra Cristino in a loud whisper. Gerada jumped up and only staggered a little. Mother Church and her holy son here representing is always ready to receive. He began forgetting he was on the warpath. But a shake from his lieutenant set him to rights. Well, what brought you here to the camp of the loyal lancers and government guerrillas of the province of Sonora? Challenged our commands to scare him. I want to be enrolled in your band, answered Mingo. The dev, I mean, the devout vow I have to keep my ranks pure won't allow that, son. You're the son of a heretic, the offspring of the devil. No more devil than you, cried Domingo, who was very easily set fire. I'm in love with Donna Manuelina, and I told her so this morning. She took me by the throat and locked me up in her room, which I entered, till her brothers and the old man came home. The old wretch whipped me like a dog, and the cursed sons, laughing at me all the while, dragged me to the horse pond and chucked me in. You do look damp, said Gerada, and we all laughed. I've sworn to be avenged, went on Mingo. I'll kill all the apareos, burn their houses, cut their cattle's throats, pull down the hacienda walls. Go on, I don't see that it's our business, said Gerada, and we burst into laughter again. The mongrel looked so comic, yelling out and tossing his arms, which we had unloosed, about. But Apareos is an American in heart. So are they all, screamed Domingo in fury. They are joyous when they hear of the victories of the United States. They were mad and sad when they heard of the Alamo. Ha ha, said Fra Cristino. We must look into this nest of serpents. Silence, roared Gerardo like a bull. Apareos can't help that. He only talks, not does. He gave a thousand dollars in two silver candlesticks, which he got at Gimas to our chapel. And he gave me that very horse there, for he said twas a shame for a weak priest like me to have to foot it. And it was a shame on the Catholic farmers with their herds of asses, mules, and mustangs. And he's always hospitable and fetches out first-class wines to his guests if they are unworthy sons of the true faith like Padre Gerada, says our old leader, smacking his lips. But I know the secret hiding place of lots of gold and silver coin the old man's got ever so much, howled Domingo, wild at all his entreaties being wasted. We all looked at one another, said Guerra, and then at our reverend captain. That last thing settled it. Ahem, coughed Gerardo. Well, my Domingo, out with it. On second thoughts, no traitor to the Republic must be let escape unpunished under mistaken ideas of mercy. No. He is amassing money to aid some grand plot for helping the foe. Who can doubt? Of course, cried we all. Death to the traitor. Give me a horse and anything. 
a knife even, and let me join you, said Domingo. You, no impure bloods are going to sully our cause, answered the padre. You refuse, eh, yelled Domingo. May the Holy Mother curse you. May her son send lightning on you. May all the saints... Down came Padre Gerardo's machete on his skull, which it split, and he never moved again. Cristino had nearly got his arm taken off in trying to bar the blow. Curse him. He couldn't help swearing. He's carried the secret of the cash with him. So he had. But we, thinking that no one better than we could hut up gold and valuables, sprang to horse and rattled off to St. Mary of Leon's Butte, on which Apareos's house was built. We reached it in half an hour, pretty well scratched from going through the chaparral at such a pace. When we hammered at the big gate, one of the young men came out. The peons, I ought to tell you, were away from the house in their dwelling, and they left for the thicket when we began to work. Who's there? challenged the son. We told him when he said we might be deed, and back he went into the house. They had been reconnoitering from the upper windows we could see. We surrounded the place, heaping up the brush and lots of torchwood at the gates, which we burnt through. There was a black and a couple of servants in the house who fought for their master, especially after old Apareos had blown the brains out of one of them, who had tried to jump out of the window. Afraid of fighting at anything but close quarters, for the three Americans, as I call them, were blasted fine shots, we charged in two parties, front and rear. I was in the latter division, which Dorada led. We smashed in a window by exploding a horn of powder at it. The first of us who jumped through was cut into four neat quarters by the old rascal's cavalry sword. He nearly stuck the old reverend next, but I pushed Dormelli Punez at him, and he ran him through by mistake. We had a lively flurry in the dark, but no more of us were killed. We had to tumble back out of the window. On the other hand, Cristino had better luck. He had been beaten back, but he brought out with him one of the sons prisoner, and he had killed the three men servants as well as the wife. We tried a rush once more, no go. We waited for an hour or two till we had a lot of wood collected and made a monstrance fire in front, leaving a few to keep a lookout there. So under the couple of windows each side. When the flames began to rise and drive the two men left to our side, we made our third attempt and dragged out them both. The son was dead, the father only stunned with a head wound. Then we began to cry out that we wouldn't hurt anybody who surrendered. Out of the Camaresta, a luscious slip of a girl, delicious, Donna Maolina appeared at the broken window in the light, for half the front of the building was burning merrily now. We called her to come, but her father, who had come to life and recovered his voice, spoilt all by shouting, No, no, they lie. Join, join your dead mother, murdered by them. We were going to strike him dead for this, but Gerardo wouldn't allow it. One of us did tap him with the flat of his sword, and he swooned again. His son looked on with set teeth and eyes like coals. 
The burning house looked like a skeleton one with a blaze at the front and illumined by the sky, but none of the far-off neighbors cared to come. Well for them. The heat made us fall back. Suddenly the girl appeared on the upper roof, up, which she had to run as up a hill, for it had fallen in at the other end some few feet. God, wasn't she pretty, handsome, splendid, standing up in that red and yellow brightened air? I remember, and I, and I, said one or two, Gera's telling it just as it was. Her hair flying loose in wild disorder, her robe torn and disheveled, showed her beautiful figure almost like a marble statue. Such a lovely form as that girl possessed we had never before gazed on. Seen too in that brilliant, dazzling light, she looked more like some angel alighting from the skies than a mere mortal girl. I never saw the like. The excitable and excited auditors listened, holding their breath and fastening their flashing eyes on Gera. There she stood like a kind of statue. We could not stir for a moment, and when the same idea of saving her impelled half a dozen of us to run into the heated air and hold out a horse blanket, and we shouted above the hissing, crackling, roaring of the accursed flames. Jump down, senorita, for the love of God, interrupted several, those who had been witnesses with Gera of the scene which he narrated. Yes, yes. Yes, those were the words, said Gera. She hesitated. The tongues of the fire darted up behind her, higher and thicker than ever. We shouted again. She turned coolly around, and we thought we saw her bright eyes fill with tears, which ran down her doubly scorching cheeks, as she looked her last on our prisoners. Her last, for the next moment she sprang into the very core of all that immense bowl of devil's punch. We thought that the fire danced more merrily than before. Anyhow, that's where she ended her life and destroyed all her beauteous form. The enthusiastic hearers murmured in Spanish words of pity, such as, Poor girl, poor maiden, may Our Lady have her, for they forgot the attending circumstances to place all their interest on the central figure. There was a pause, no one breaking the spell by either eating or drinking. Finally, one spoke up. The rest, Gera, what more? Ah, yes. Well, the brother of the girl, who had been watching her in horror, fell down, and we could not awaken him any more than we could his father. They were not dead, however. Gerada, who had not forgotten the treasure of which Domingo had said so much, turned sharply to the Camarista and asked her where her master kept his money hidden. She did not know or would not tell, whichever it was. Gerada gave orders and ran off Juan Melita to the stables, from which he brought back a horse's nosebag. You won't tell. Very well, said the padre. Go ahead, Juan. Juan collected a couple of handfuls in quantity of the half-burnt cinders that were rained down near us and put them in the bag, which had a bottom too thick to be easily burnt through. Then he tied the bag over the mouth of the girl after Gerada had asked her again, saying he was sorry to spoil a pretty bird's singing. The girl could draw a little fresh air through her nose, but her mouth took in the scorching smoke from the bag, of course. 
she began to twist and fight so that four of us could hardly hold her. Her poor little bosom gave a couple of heaves, and she worked her limbs so furiously that we let go. She stood reeling for a moment, threw up her arms, the bag falling off, and gave a dreadful cough. Blood poured out of her mouth, and she sank as if a mesquite had fallen upon her. Curses she's dead without having spoken, raged the reverend chief. Good, broke in old Aparelos, who had come to. Who said that, bellowed Gerada, turning, Aha! You found your tongue again. I've been thinking how to make you speak. Will you tell us where you keep your treasure? My tre... Yes, Domingo has led us into the secret of it, at least of the being one. Come out with it. Give one dollar to you, 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 and I don't know what he did not call us. Do your worst, you shan't learn. Gerardo whispered to somebody, Moredos the Younger, I believe. But that does not matter, said Gera, and he tore the scarf of the dead Camarista into strips, which he wound around every finger of the American's right hand, just as if you were going to bind up a broken arm and he was most securely pinioned. Will you tell? I'll see you all in the hell's flames, sure to be your portion first, cried all Aparelos doggedly. Old Father Gerada took the bottle of oil from Moretus, who was surgeon for the horses and who had been to his saddlebags for it, and poured it on the bound-up hand, the cloth on which soaked it up like a caiman in heat drinking a brooklet dry. Then a branch of torchwood was lighted and brought, and the hand was set afire. The old heretic stood it for it for a couple of minutes, but then began to howl. But he kept shouting, That's from the agony. God, do you. But gritting his teeth, I won't speak. As his hand burnt up like a big church candle before the shrine of Our Lady, the Queen of the Angels, the old American yelled and howled. He cursed us in English, Indian, and Spanish, till his son was roused by the noise. In finding he could not get loose, for he was wound round in a riata, and rawhide may give, but it won't break, he called out. Father, dear father, oh, let the old man go and roast me instead. Will you tell where the riches are, asked the padre. He looked at his father. No, says the old American. They'll have their devil's sport anyhow. See you skinned first, answered the young fellow. Give him a handsome glove, said Gerada, laughing. They're so much alike, we had better mate them. So the two hands blazed together. I've been hard up on the sands and have had to chew dead mule steak a little touched and smelling, said Gera, but I was sick like the rest at the damnable stench of that burning flesh. They twisted and groaned, but we could not get one word out of them. We flourished knives and machetes under their eyes and jammed escoped muscles against their teeth, but no use. At last Gerada had them run up to the boughs of a tree, and we with empty hands had to turn our backs on the ruins of the house. Oh, the good old times, ending the ex-Gorella, sighing. I don't feel well to think it's all over. Maybe our countrymen will give the Yankees a strong taste of the same in this state yet, observed someone. Maybe, but here's Jack, and not alone. The three-fingered freebooter indeed made his appearance, 
driving before him eight Chinese, complete in pigtail, frock, loose breeches, in cheap boots. They had been trembling violently enough already, but when they saw themselves in the presence of a large body of armed men, they tumbled down on their knees and begged for mercy in the worst of mixed Spanish and English, but which was extremely expressive from their pitiable tone. Their earnest entreaties, now in full rolling of the almond eyes and active gestures, only excited the hilarity of the whole band, who made the place ring with unrestrained bursts of merriment. Jack ordered the Orientals, by means of blended threats and pantomime, to change their position from standing to setting on the rocks a few feet from the fire. This command was executed with prompt obedience, after which Jack flourished his knife over the heads of the line by way of intimation that if they moved an eyebrow or the tips of their cues, he would cut their heads off. He resumed, with as good an appetite as anybody could boast, his meal on the crackers and sardines. My amigo Jack, my friend, inquired Joaquin, once that blood, still fresh, I should say, that I see on your dagger's blade. Oh, that splatter there. Why, I had to stick one of those funny johns to explain my meaning to the rest. As soon as they saw that one of their blessed crowd kissed the ground and stayed there, one of them, turning as reasonable as could be, took the head of the file, and the rest trotted along after him like Santa Fe sheep. That's how I made out to fetch them so far. Well, now that you've got them, what good are they going to be to anybody? Why, they're too much like sheep not to be bled the same way. You better hurry up to your cakes then, said Felix. They're halfway to Mono Lake, the Dead Sea of California, already. Oh, they can wait, returned the semi-cannibal, darting on the captive so significant a look that they began mumbling something to Joss. I brought them here to amuse the company, but I'm going to fill the barrel of my body with a charge of soda crackers and a wad of sardines before I open the show. I think the Yankees are right in one idea of theirs, business before pleasure. A quarter of an hour elapsed in the consumption of the eatables by the speaker and of tobacco with the others. Then the former sprang up into the poor Chinese, seven of whom he drew together by their tails, and made a new sort of wheel of them by tying them all together. He grabbed the separate victim by the long braid as well and hauled him backwards in nearly stumbling up to the fire. The bandage jumped up. Stop, stop, Jack, shouted several. You ain't going to make cracknels of them, blast you. Gera's been storytelling enough of that without our wanting the real. Don't. A fellow can't keep his supper down with a frying Chinese to look at. No, no, I only lugged him here to let the light fall on him. Out came Jack's knife then to be plunged up to the buckhorn haft in the heart of the luckless devil. The dying man wrestled with his murderers for a second. When the latter flung him off, the body fell beside the fire, and a thick stream of blood by the shock gushed out of the horrible gash and put out the flames. Carajo, swore one Mexican, you've spotted my jacket. Caramba, maldita, the fire's a goner. Joaquin stepped up. Enough of that, Jack. 
I won't stand any such wantonness. Kill them all at once, where they are, and make no bones about it. Oh, all right, Captain, just as you say. I thought the boys wanted some sport, but I'll have all the fun to myself now. So saying, he dragged the corpse to one side, let it drop, and went over to the shuddering remainder. Without being in the least moved by their yells, screams, prayers, weeping, he stabbed some and cut the throats of others most leisurely. Before the first one had been butchered, the three women had pulled their blanket shawls over their heads so as not to behold the horrible affair. They might have applauded the bull who gored a toreador in a fight, the man who brought down his opponent at sword's points or short pistol range, but they hated and were disgusted to be tacit accomplices in the slaughter of the unfortunate descendants of the builders of the Great Wall, which they were wrong to have passed. Clarina, who was seated by her lover, overheard him give the order for the dispatching of the prisoners. Moved by a deep feeling of compassion, she wished to try to shield from cruelty those who yet survived. Without uncovering her face, she let fall her head on the robber's shoulder and said in a tremulous voice, Oh, Joaquin, why won't you prevent that awful massacre, so useless, of harmless men? Hear their despairing cries. You can, won't you hold back the wretch's hand? My dearly loved girl, that's what I cannot do. Garcia's cruel and violent and he only linked his fortune to mine to satisfy his dreadful thirst for blood. But he is brave and does not know what danger is, so that it would be a great loss for me to have to part with him. Are they beyond hope, poor things, then? murmured Clarina. Yes, I'm sorry in the bottom of my heart for it. Hark, there are only two voices to be heard now. Only one. It dies away with its owner. There, the whole work of blood is ended. They suffer no longer, poor fools, forever having crossed the Pacific. By all the saints ejaculated the bloody-handed murderer, falling on a bunch of grass in his blanket by the rekindled fire. If this isn't a red-letter night on my books, shoot me. Those funny dogs resisted just enough to put an edge to it. One fellow scratched me and kicked. Beautiful. Oh, San Miguel, Santa Antonina, let me have another such a treat, and I'll walk to Cuba and be joyfully garroted. At daybreak, the party set out again. Notwithstanding the tragedy of the preceding night, all were heart-free and gay enough in looking forward to a long, quiet stay at their principal retreat. The females especially felt the good effects of the exchange from the terrors of the gloomy eve in the forest to the serene and brilliant dawn in the more open, sunlit land. They galloped on lightly beside Joaquin and Felix, a little in advance of the main body, chatting to drive away whatever was troublesome in their minds. Every now and anon they would dart on in a mock, severe chase of a quail, who, dropping its proudly lifted plume on its beak, would scurry along near the ground like a roadrunner until rising suddenly, goodbye to anything reaching it but a shot. Clear silvery peals of laughter rang out on the sonorous air, and snatches of song emulated the bird's awakening, while the smiles added fresh charms to the countenances of the young women, and made their eyes sparkle still more brightly. 
After several successive halts, the band arrived at length at Arroyo Cantuva. What was the joy of that young prince of pillagers at view of the spectacle, extremely grateful to the horse-stealer's eyes that was visible in the valley? There were more than a thousand horses grazing in herbage which brushed their bellage with the high tops or leaping about with floating mane and tail and smoking nostril through the wild oats and over the clover. The stallions were already forming their manadas of a few mares unavoidably taken in the mass, and every little while a vaquero who would have to push his horse into the press and lash the horses about to fight. The whole formed a sort of patchwork, the grass for groundwork, and the variegated animals for embroidery, almost all being calico or paint horses, dun, cream-colored, mouse-colored, black, streaked, speckled, spotted, white, stockinged, and nosed. A cluster of tents, white as the snow of Shasta's summit, was glistening under the evergreen madrona which proved that the plundering detachment had not only faithfully carried out their instructions, but were on the spot to receive further orders. The new arrivals raised the well-known shout which signaled their approach, and all made for the canvas camp at headlong speed, where they dismounted. They were immediately surrounded by Valenzuela, Cardoza, and a portion of their followers, of whom the remainder were off on a hunt. After mutual compliments and felicitations exchanged, the horses were unharnessed and turned into graze with the others. The riders rolled off on the grass to enjoy the repose so necessary to them. They had slept as only men can sleep who have gone out at the full speed of California steeds, who do not know what pacing or a fast trot or any intermediate pace is for five hours or so, when they were aroused for supper. The hunters had returned at nightfall well supplied with game. A large fire had been made and from it rose the delicious emanations of bear's meat and birds. Quails and grouse and a few robins spitted on twigs stuck in the ground, hissed daintily and sputtered before the embers. On the edge of the heap of coals simmered the contents of large iron camp kettles, full of that herb used oft-times in the old days of El Dorado for tea. A little farther off, on a hundred and more huge leaves, were spread out as apologies for cloths, on which again sat tin plates, bright though old, for California air will not rust things as other countries bearing portions of Mexican compounds in such unconsidered trifles picked up from ravaged districts as Baltimore pickled oysters, New York lobsters, jellies, and fruit. Apples and pears from the famous San Jose Mission Orchard were side by side with their mates, plucked by Yankee girls in the bay in the Green Mountain States shipped in a California clipper by the stevedores of the Empire City and after rounding the awful cape, rolled out of the side-lading port on San Franciscan shores. Beside each plate was more or less temptingly set a tin cup, a bundle of cigars or a packet of cigarettes and a bottle of wine, whose hue as red as the honey bud that a bee might choose to sleep in glittered alluringly through the transparent prison walls. 
the whole formed a display which no sharp-set marauder would have sneezed at. On a signal given by the cook, pitch in, boys, and never mind us, the famished crew took up positions, as best agreed in their tastes, and went to work as if the banquet was a bank of good-yielding earth and they, so many hydraulic pipes, aimed to wash it away. They did wash it down. The seat of honor was occupied by the chief of the coyotes in his clarina. On his right hand was Reynardo Felix and his mistress, the charming Margarita. To the left, Juan Cardosa and the pretty Mariquita. This latter had for some reason worn mourning for her former lover, a Gonzales so summarily dislodged from his high eminence in the gallery of rogues, El Doradian by Captain Harry Love, and had settled her choice on Cardoza. Her love for gay colors had gained her the nickname of Mariposa, the butterfly, already which was confirmed by her thus flitting from the dead flower to the blooming one. Laughs went up more befitting a Montgomery Street Negro minstrel hall than a Parisian drawing room, let us say, but the upper end of the table was more select, and the lowered tones there compared to the rougher voices below was as a cooing of doves to the growling of grizzly cubs boxing, dancing, and at play together. Supper was finished, and conversation was rattling on when the signal arose again. A score of men dashed up as fast as their jaded beast could go, Mountain Jim at their head. Room was made for them. The cooks went to their work once more, and the latter comers plied knife and fingers while receiving the warm congratulations of their comrades. These recruits were natives of Chile, Peru, and Sonora, who had been got together by one of Joaquin's best friends, Fernando Fontes, who had accompanied them to the rallying place. They brought, as a kind of tribute for their welcome, 70 to 75 horses, without their true owners, of course, and Jim announced that 200 more were corralled in the San Francisco Rancho, which would be driven to this retreat during the coming week. The talk, thus for the time being interrupted, went on briskly as before, the newcomers being regaled with stories of which the immoral was a lesson for their future exploits. Elegant romancing and incredible yarns succeeded one another, and the whole company would have had to have been credited with greatly thinning out the population if the chronicles of crime were believed in. In the interludes of hangings, flayings, burnings, shootings, and stabbings, one of the girls would sing some melody which from its excessive sweetness had some effect for the moment on the steel hearts. All at once, the general gladness was violently broken into by a quarrel that arose between Three-Fingered Jack and Mountain Jim. The thing was serious enough, as the reader will see. End of chapter 6